Two girls talking. You know what that means. It's time to talk. What's going on in the world? How about your business? How about your life? Let's talk it out. Two girls talking. Hey, everybody, it's Anna. And it's Ashley. And I am so excited about our guest and our topic today. We're talking about the millions of women who have quit their jobs since the start of the pandemic. That's right. And we are living in a time of some serious reckoning. Women are fed up about so many different things, Mm -hmm. but we have had enough and it has gotten so bad that millions of women are quitting and leaving the workforce in search of a better life. And that's exactly what our guest did. I am thrilled to introduce Sarah McElroy, a former hustle culture devotee and ex-marketing chief officer who became the Wall Street Journal's poster girl for a pandemic career burnout after a health crisis in early 2021 led her to hit the reset button on life. So she quit her job, took a trip, and moved from Atlanta to the beach in South Florida for a new job and a fresh start. But once again, she encountered the deeply ingrained cultural issues at her new job that she had at her former job. And then she walked away again. Smart girl, becoming a two-time member of the Great Resignation Class of 2021 and 2022. And now she is a finder of Raise to Rise, a journalism project amplifying women's voices from the Great Resignation. And she joins us here today. Welcome, Sarah. Sarah. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here with you both today, Anna and Ashley. Thank you. Well, we are super, super thrilled that you are here. And Ashley has told me so much about you. You have been on quite a journey. So let's start at the beginning. Who were you before your first resignation? And why'd you quit? Great question. It is amazing to look back at that version of me. I was the corporate good girl. I was climbing the ranks in corporate America as almost as fast as I could. I ended up reaching the C-suite at age 35, and I was so proud of that. And I, yeah, it was so much when I look back on her, and I have so much compassion for that former version of me, so much of my worth and identity were tied up in my career. And it became that I climbed my way to the top and felt once I got there that I needed to prove myself so much and was also juggling an executive MBA program at the time that I started working up to almost 20 hours a day, not every single day, but some days that much to juggle both of them. And this was also really at the height of the pandemic. So I'm just wanting to prove my capabilities so I can keep my job and keep the wheels turning at all times. And eventually it came home to roost as these things do. And they're unsustainable. Mm-hmm. They are. They absolutely are unsustainable. So what happened? Like, what happened to make you stop and reassess life? It was a it was a few things that happened. Actually, it was a slow burn to the breaking point moment. And that's because I did not want to let go of the version of Sarah that I thought I'd always wanted. It's hard. It's a dream, right? To be a a chief marketing officer. And so then I, I get there and the culture is 
insanely toxic and I'm working as much as I am and it's not even really worth anything, it, I had this moment of like, why? Why am I doing this? I felt so hollow. But to boot, my body started raising red flags and I ended up having a couple of episodes of throwing up blood and ended up in the ER. And finally, it all came to a head in April 2021 when I had even cut back on my hours but was still feeling the nudge like, this isn't going to work. I'm going to have to do something. I ended up getting shingles. And I deeply believe it was my body's way of telling me no more. Absolutely. Yeah. And for anyone listening, shingles is so painful. It's it's a it's like the adult version of the chicken pox, but as an because I've had it too, Sarah, it can manifest itself in not just sores, but in headaches and nerve pain, right? I mean, this is like it's very, very debilitating. So can you describe like a little bit about what physical symptoms you were experiencing? Sure. It was it was absolutely all of that. It's funny, Ashley, because it started where I was having, I was feeling kind of like some, an itch on my chest and back and some numbness that I couldn't explain for about a week leading up to it. And then I did, I ended up with the, the strips of these little pink uh, dots that are wrapping around your body and just exhausted. And it's painful you're uncomfortable. You can't really sleep that well on it. It's a really unpleasant experience. But I have to also admit this too. And this was really, I'd had a few moments of wake up along the way or kind of like my head was starting to come above water. And I started realizing I probably was going to have to make a change. But my big moment of knowing was when I was thrilled to be diagnosed with shingles because mm-hmm. it meant I had eight days off of work. And I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that to an extent, but that's how desperate I was at that time to slow down and stop doing what I was doing. But I felt like I couldn't give myself permission to quit or to mm-hmm. slow down. And what, what would that look like? How would that coexist the slowdown version with Sarah, the overachieving robot. It just, it didn't make any sense to me. But then I had a doctor's (laughs) note that said, Sarah has to be out of work for this long. And I was ecstatic and I shouldn't be, we shouldn't be ecstatic that our bodies are breaking down. No. Take a break, right? You know, it's so crazy though, because you're not the first one that we've talked to and Ashley and I can attest to the fact that both of us were slash are that way. It it really does have to be a very mindful decision to put your health above your job and, and your career. And so many of us, men and women, what we do is who we are. And that's really having to retrain your brain. So you left your job number one and you went on to job number two. And I'm assuming that you thought it was going to be a better work-life balance. Yeah. So what happened? Like, I, I want to know, like, so you quit. What led you to quit this job? Like you were like shingles and I'm out or like, how did that happen? And then, then you moved, you went to Peru. Like talk about that journey that led you to number two, job number two. It was a pretty epic series of events that then unfolded from there after I quit. And yes, that's exactly what happened. I got the shingles diagnosis. I took 
those days off from work and they just happened to coincide with when I was in the final interviews for a role down in Florida. And I knew from that moment though, it was either this role in Florida is going to work out and I'm going to take it or I'm going to quit and I'm going to take off or take time off. And the job did come through. So I thought I was being remarkably generous in giving myself two weeks off between the two jobs. And I wasn't going to be moving right away. I had a little bit of downtime. So yes, I, I took a trip to Peru during that time. I needed to fully reset my nervous system and kind of recenter and get away and disconnect from it all. My old boss from that job that I had just quit was actually still trying to call me in Peru when I was there. So I ultimately turned off my phone for a few days because it was just Good like, this is, this is not the life I want to live. I want to, I want to figure out who Sarah is beyond all of this. So I, I get back from Peru. I start the new job in Atlanta. I'm working toward moving to Florida. And while I am cutting back on hours, and that was such a beautiful thing, because that's what we all kind of hear about with burnout is you read the listicles on the internet of the self-care things you can do or how to set better boundaries and reduce your hours and all of that. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm doing the best that I can because those things are happening. But ultimately, I end up moving down here and I find myself in the midst of a true good old boys club and a culture in which there is a lot of like back channeling and uh, not a lot of transparency in a lot of ways, but these certain subversive cultural issues are just allowed to run rampant and eventually was dealing with a situation of some sexually harassing comments that weren't addressed for months. And which is actually probably even worse in many regards, than where you came from. Mm. You, you, you know, right. I mean, I mean, you, for hiring a woman, you for a, a woman, you know, you always want to go into a job. At least I do, wanting to believe that they hired me not just because I check a box, but because I have something to offer. Yeah. Hopefully, they can see from my experience what I have achieved, and that I actually know my shit. You know, and then when you walk into a place and it's not that at all, it's even more disheartening. I mean, did you were you were you questioning why you left your first job? You're like, shit, I thought it was bad, but now look where I am, yeah. you know? Well, it wasn't so much that I wanted to go back because I think my body's reaction to that environment previously was enough to tell me that I had made the right move. And here's the funny thing that happened too. When I was first speaking with the recruiter about the job in Florida, I had I never thought I wanted to live in Florida. I don't know why, but I kind of had this eh reaction of sorts generally when I'd ever thought of that. But she said you would it would be a requirement that you relocate down there for this job. And I kind of heard something within me that was just like a very calm yes. And I, I can't explain it. Um, I think I know that that was my intuition at the time. But I did follow that down here. And it turned out that Florida has been so good for me and my kind of hustle culture recovery. I live pretty close to the beach. And I live actually in a tiny little house on the water. And it was like, that was to get me back to experiencing and understanding that 
joy every day is a thing <laughs> that yeah. we can yeah. actually uh, appreciate and have and that we don't have to be miserable five days a week and just try to find it on the weekends. So that was great. And I could see the silver lining and all of that. But yes, it was it was mind blowing to me that in 2021, someone could still act like that. HR even overheard one of the comments that was made and a formal investigation never happened. I wouldn't drop it though, because something broke open in me in that previous culture. I spoke up for myself one or two times, but not really. Honestly, I was pretty terrified of the the rest of the team. I was the youngest member on the executive team and I was treated like the kid's sister and kind of kicked around at times. And I just accepted that because I was happy to have that seat at the table and just grateful for it. And then I think what happened with this is that it was like, no more. I am not going to put myself in situations like this. You're fed up. You saw what he had done to you too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not worth it. It's just, it it is not. No amount of money is worth your health, mental or physical. Yeah. And I was going to say, it's almost like you have this immediate knee jerk. No, I'm not doing it again. Reaction. I've been there before and I'm like really feeling that for you. So tell us then what you decided to do. Well, I kept pushing for an investigation and finally one was initiated about four months after it should have taken place. And I actually had the day off. It was a Monday when the HR woman put a an hour on my call to give me the investigation readout. And so even though I had the day off, I'm, you know, it's so important. I'd actually honestly taken off that past week to deal with like the mental health and emotional well-being sort of fallout of all of this because I didn't want to be working while she's going around and sure. telling the people about these comments and things. And um, I get on the phone. She reads out the findings from the investigation in four minutes out of the hour. And it's like half of it is stuff that's already been said. And it's just like HR boilerplate. Like we have right. an open door policy. And thank you for bringing this to our attention. And this needs to be kept confidential from other employees. And nothing new had happened except for, I guess, a couple of other people who had been involved, but I wasn't allowed to know what had even happened. And um, I just, I hung up from that call and I knew I was going to take my laptop in the next day. I wrote a blistering anti-harassment resignation letter that night from the safe cocoon of my bedroom where I felt more emboldened and then shaking. I went into the office the next morning. I hit send on the letter. I left my laptop. I grabbed my few personal belongings and I walked out the door. I was just not even going to give them two weeks at that point, which is, oh my gosh, Oh, the the version of me that we were talking about, the one who was the corporate good girl would have been horrified and even was a little bit by that decision because you never would leave a job without giving two weeks notice and doing the right thing and writing a really, you know, almost saccharine resignation letter, walking out the door and pretending everything's okay, but I couldn't do it anymore. And I sent it to the CEO and uh, my boss in HR. And that was it. Damn. I know, right? Mic drop. And I want to say something. Um, 
you learn to trust your intuition and what a powerful journey and lesson. I'm sorry you had to go through this, but, but what, as you were sharing this story, I I felt like your intuition was growing stronger and stronger and stronger. And then finally you're like, I trust what I'm hearing that inner voice. Absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, I, I really, um, it, not only do I admire you, I'm really like so jealous of you because Ashley and I have talked about this. I really wish that I would have left a job sooner for, for another place that I, th- I think would have had a better, I don't know, I just would have had fun doing it. Uh, and I didn't. And I, you know, I regret that. It's turned out fine. It's turned out great. But if I had known then, you said you weren't, you, that that corporate good, good girl, you may not be a good girl anymore, but God, girl, you are a corporate boss right now. And so good for you. Yeah. You know, really good on you for, for listening to that and being fed up and not taking it anymore when so many men and women, you know, but mostly women just continue. So, but Sarah, here's the thing. Like you are one of millions that, that said I'm fed up. And yes. so let, let's talk about that because as Anna said in the intro, we're at a reckoning here. Women are fed up. And you say that we've been taught a number of big lies about how to approach our careers. I 100% agree that I used to be a product of the hustle culture, but what are those big lies that you think we're told about how we approach our careers and what should we be doing instead? Sure. It's one of my favorite things to talk about, Ashley, because I bought into every single one of them for so long. And there are these antiquated beliefs that are really keeping us stuck, I think, women and men in how we approach our careers, so across the board. But it's further compounded by women. So first and foremost, it it's just amazing to me that when you really deconstruct this whole idea of how you go about finding a career, figuring out what you're going to do for a career, when we're in our teens, we are expected to know by the ripe old ages of 17 or 18, what we want to do for our careers so that we can pursue the right college major or the trade school or just start working or whatever that is. And then we're just supposed to know that that is what we're going to want to do for the next 40 plus years. And when you when you say it like that, it sounds absolutely preposterous, but that's what we're expecting. And like, we're still, you're still kids where we know that our prefrontal cortexes aren't even fully developed as far as, you know, that's our center for uh, behavior, personality, our executive function. That doesn't even happen until we're 25. But at 18, we're just supposed to know what we're, we're going to do and just commit to it. But then you go beyond that. And these are well-meaning adults in our lives who are attempting to save us from shattered dreams and paltry paychecks, but they're encouraging us to to take the dreams that we had when we were, you know, a precocious six-year-old saying, I want to be a singer and a dancer and uh, have my own business and all of those things. And it's cute when you're saying that then, but then 10 years later, it's like, okay, kid, get, get a grip kind of like tone it in, tone it down, reel it in, come up with something that's reasonable and it's stable and secure. And again, it's well-meaning, but it's to your point of intuition, Ashley, that's the first point in time that we start to doubt that knowing within us as far as what our passions are, what we'd want to do, where we'd want to go. We We are learned to distrust that because others tell us it's not right. Yes. 
Yeah, that's it. A hundred percent. I used to, when I was at CBS News, well, I, I used to speak up and I, my voice would be like, boom. And then I learned to not trust myself. And I, I felt like I didn't have a voice. And this is one reason why I love being a business owner. It's because I have my voice. I trust my voice. I can use my voice. And if you don't like it, you don't need to be my client. You don't need to be a right. girl partner. <laughs> like, that's fine. You don't need to work with us anymore. I mean, I, you know, that's... It, it, when you get to the point where you realize, and I think that you're right, Sarah, especially in the beginning, you talk about stability and everything. When you first come out of college, what you want to do is get a job so you can support yourself. And then I think that I think that everybody needs to go through that for a little bit. But then hopefully you will realize that life is mu- so much more about so many other things. Yes. And it's hard. It's hard to, to, to jump off that gravy train. Mm-hmm. It really is, but it's amazing how much happier you will find yourself to be, you know? Yeah. And I'm just like so curious about this and maybe this is more a question for all of us, but I'll direct it towards you, Sarah. So, you know, millions of women quit, but there's also millions of women, probably more millions, millions that want to quit. Now people like you, like you just quit. I, I quit my job. Um, I was working for someone who was a, a situation that was very, there was a lot of sexism going on. Um, and the only reason I was able to quit while pregnant was because I had my husband's salary to fall back on. And like, what do you say to like women or listeners who might be listening? It's like, well, yeah, I would quit tomorrow if I could, but I have three mouths to feed. So I'm going to have to put up with this sexism and this good old boys club. Like what then, what do you do? That is the most That's the stickiest and the most heartbreaking of situations and the reality with so many women out there. And that was the thing, honestly, that blew my mind when I first started my journalism project to capture and amplify women's voices and stories from the Great Resignation is that I put out my call for stories. I'm hearing from almost an equal number of women who want to quit their jobs, but Mm. just feel like they can't. And to your point, Ashley, there are there are some women who are in that circumstance. For, for them, the reality of finances or it could be health related to, you know, having good healthcare coverage for themselves or their kids because of a condition, things like that. Those are very real, tangible concerns. And you obviously cannot make rush uh, or rash, abrupt decisions in that regard to to make a leap and kind of do what I did and just say, like, I'm out the door. I look at it more of being a process of honoring that knowing that is coming to you and telling you you're having the feelings that you're having related to the the discontent and wanting to quit. And you're you're likely also feeling it in your body. It could be manifesting as energy drain, insomnia, stress, irritability, all of those things. Those are your body's brilliant, finely attuned over millions of years of evolution warning systems to tell you something is wrong. And so what I would say then for women who are really stuck and don't have that ability to make a move right now, it becomes, and that's actually what I'm working on as far as my next project is related to a toolkit that says, 
how can you start to prepare so that when you are ready and your scenario gets a little bit easier to navigate, you can make that move immediately. But but I think also with careers, we've been taught to be so su- superficial and surface level in how we look at what we're going to end up doing. And I believe it is so much deeper and there's a lot more coming from our whole person and the experiences of our lives that we don't even look at or consider um, when we're figuring out what we want to do next, that there's a real excavation and sort of coming to, to know yourself better, to trust yourself better, to allow yourself to dream with limitless possibilities and suspend reality for a minute. All of those things you can start to do and you can start to also flex greater muscles as far as your your boundaries and learning how to say no, working on your inner confidence and self-worth. All of those things can come into play to prepare you. But I agree, I don't have that answer. And honestly, that would be my dream one day to uh, build something that allows the opportunity for financial support for women who need it to get out of bad situations for that very mm-hmm. reason. And like, why do you guys think, Sarah, for you, like, I I think I know, but I think our audience needs to hear this too. Why women, like, why is it women? I mean, I know men are quitting too, but women are the ones that are fed up. What men get fed up too, but it's more women. Like, and you talked a little bit about, you know, the cultural issues, but is that all like, what is it? Why, why is it all women? It's so many factors at play. Uh, Another one of those big lies, Ashley, is the corporate feminist have-it-all mythology that was really propagated starting with Sheryl Sandberg and was evangelized for so long. And my favorite story around kind of like the awakening everybody's having around that is Reshma Sajani, who is the founder of Girls Who Code, she wrote a book in 2019 called Brave, Not Perfect. And it is about embracing kind of like more of your imperfection and messiness in your journey to be successful both at work and at home. But she was still really uh, espousing this idea of charging the boardroom, raising your hand, breaking the glass ceiling, you can have it all, rather than looking at like, why is the system such that women are having to work harder and do more things than men? (laughs) Rather than asking that question, we're just doing more. How is that really right? And then she had this wake up moment in 2020 when she was caring for a newborn. She just had a newborn baby herself. And then as a CEO, she is being looked to as the leader to guide her team through a black swan economic crisis. And she has this wake up of like, oh my God, this, what what was I even saying in Brave Not Perfect? So she hustled and started writing a new book to essentially write that wrong. And she wrote, pay up the future of women at work and why it's different than you think. It came out in March of this year, and I read this just like piercing Washington Post interview with her. And the reporter straight up asked her, with this corporate feminist have it all mythology, what would you say to the Reshma who wrote Brave Not Perfect? Mm -hmm. She said, I would tell her she was wrong, or I I was wrong, basically. 
And so that's part of it. But then you look at all of the studies that were done. McKinsey did an awesome job related to looking at the impact of COVID for their women in the workplace reports in 2020 and 2021. And what they found is that women in 2020 were spending, uh, on average, what was amounting to be about 20 hours per week in additional housework and childcare related activities, and that they were three times more likely than the men in their households to be doing that work. So then you fast forward one year and their 2021 report is calling out these same similarities and same issues are still a problem at hand, but women are more burnt out reporting being even more burnt out than before. And one in three mothers have thought about downshifting their career or leaving the workforce entirely as a result of all of that. So it's just add issue layer on to layer and it becomes the straw that broke the camel's back eventually for so many women. So let me ask you, cause we're going to run out of time here. Let me ask you about raise to rise. Yes. Tell us about it. Tell us how we can follow it, get involved with it contribute. Tell us all about it. Yes. Awesome. Well, Race to Rise is my journalism project capturing stories from women of the great resignation. I was so inspired after my own experience to understand what are other women feeling right now? Because I thought too, that probably other women were ending up in similar situations where we're moving in our careers, thinking we're moving into a better environment, but ending up in these spin cycles of burnout and uh, discontent. And it becomes, you know, how can we learn from each other and women who are finally saying, no more, I'm not going to take it. How can we crowdsource their insights and wisdom and share them out with other women? And so I started that really officially with a call for stories in March. And I'm sharing stories on, on about a weekly basis right now. And that's at raise2rise.com that you can check that out. But um, it's been just such a powerful experience learning from so many women, hearing their stories, because that's where I was also getting frustrated is you see all these statistics and headline after splashy headline about the great resignation and the latest numbers and on a macro level what's happening. But what I knew, because it was for me, is that every single one of these data points, these people and women specifically, which is the is who I was interested in, that's a story. That's a very yeah. personal story and experience and tough decision. And that's really what I wanted to get into was to bring a human lens to what we're talking about with the great resignation and look at how we as women can take this moment in time where there is this movement that's a symptom of uh, issues that have long been bubbling beneath the surface. How do we learn from it, link arms and move forward stronger in how we support each other in the workplace and navigate our careers in the future. Okay. And I want to say too, that raise to rise is R A Z E. Yes. Yes. Turn it down to raise it back up, rebuild. Right. Exactly. I wanted to make sure that people knew that. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Oh, Sarah, I feel like I have a million more questions and 
question that we could talk all day long, but I just want to say thank you for doing the good work you're doing. Um, women need to hear you and I'm so grateful that you would spend time with us today to share your story and your message. And your journey. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I think it's really important, too, that women, uh, men too, but mostly women, realize that they're not alone. You know, you've given a voice to, to, I think, a lot of lonely people because it is lonely when you look around and you see, oh, everybody's loving their work. Or maybe it's like, oh, crap, is this going to be my life for forever because everybody else is here is miserable. It's, it doesn't have to be that way. Right. It it's shouldn't be that way. way. Yeah. And it's... Yeah. It's time to stop this idea that talking about leaving a job or being unhappy or quitting, aside from like the TikTok generation, it's still seen a, as a bit uncouth or yeah. taboo. And it's time to banish that. We need to yeah. be talking about these things. And that's what I was like most scared of with the return to work movement is that we're kind of getting pushed back into the box and it's important. It's critical that we keep having these conversations and sharing our stories and wisdom with each other so that we don't lose ground that mm -hmm. was gained during the pandemic in all of us raising the bar and saying, this is what I will tolerate now versus yes. I will say, absolutely. Oh, I will not take it anymore. That's right. Gosh, well, everybody, raise up. Raise up, That's everybody. Right. Or actually, raise down. Raise down. Raise it all down. Raise <laughs> to rise. I love it, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. And listeners, we love you. We'll see you again in two weeks. Cannot wait to talk to you then in two weeks. Bye. See you later. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you.